0: Hello and welcome to Follow the Leader Radio featuring Life Lesson Corner. Hello, I'm Robert Pearson, your host for Life Lesson Corner, the weekly show where I share nuggets of wisdom kindly bestowed upon me by others or hard won by misfortune. All recordings and notes will be available on my website, lead to live, forward slash follow the leader. Lead the number two dot L-I-V-E. Forward slash follow the leader. All the Bible verses in my outline will be hyperlinked through the blueletterbible.org. It's an awesome website. Go check them out. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, this week is less of a, a single lesson and more my personal ideology for apologetics. I use the word ideology because I hate the word philosophy. I think it's too nebulous in what it means. So the, there was a really thoughtful conversation inspired by Shane at uh, 318 Radio. three. O N E eight radio on anchor, and the conversation was about apologetics in general and kind of when or or why you would use them and and their place in the context of in evangelism, interpersonal evangelism. Really awesome. And being the excessively thoughtful, overthinking type of guy that I am, I took a week to think about it and outline and footnote my own thoughts on the conversation, and I'm sharing them in this format. So here we go. The, the first point that I, I really feel like I need to make in this uh, area is it's a, kind of a fundamental tenet that i found throughout Scripture and in my life is that all work is a joint effort between God and man. Everything that you do, God is responsible ultimately for the the outcome of your labors, but they're also your labors. They don't stop being your labors. And so then also in a sort of evangelistic context, you have... You have to go out and talk to somebody, but ultimately it's God who changes their heart and mind and brings them to salvation. That doesn't negate the fact that you did that work. You went and built that relationship and had those conversations that ultimately led to God's work in their life. You were a conduit, more or less. So the the place that I, I get this from, and I really kind of see it in the, in the scripture very concisely, even though you can see it throughout different stories and narratives, in the Bible is Ephesians chapter two nine and ten. See everybody when they talk about salvation they always go oh Ephesians two eight for by grace you've been saved through faith it is not of yourselves as a gift of God listening man should boast bam or by faith you've been saved through grace there we go so that's awesome but you stopped short of the rest of it it's you stopped in the middle of a sentence Paul is king of run on sentences. If you only cite one verse from a Pauline epistle, you're missing two-thirds of his point. All of his sentences, most of his sentences last about three verses. So Ephesians 2, 9, and 10 say, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which were prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. That might only only be verse 9. I'm doing it from memory. Anyway, so that's, that's huge. So it's not just, oh, you're saved by grace, you didn't do anything. But you you now have to work. You're his, God made you and then made you a Christian. And then now he's preparing good works for you. But you have to still walk in them. God prepares opportunities for you to do good in other people's lives. And then you have to get up off your couch and you have to go and sort of run into those opportunities, as it were. And so the this idea and this concept is also seen... Uh, really awesomely in the immediate context of this conversation in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14 and uh, and following, you have Peter's sermon. So it's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came down and fell on all the apostles, and they run outside and they start preaching in all these different languages. And then somebody calls all the apostles a bunch of drunken maniacs, and Peter steps up into New Age as a category, which has so much nuance inside of it. Um, instead, I would argue instead of trying to learn all the different religions and all the arguments for all the different religions and all the different, um, atheistic arguments against Christianity, don't, don't bother with any of that. What is important is to know the person that you're talking to because they come from a context. And so the best way to do that is by asking questions because you'll find most Mormons you run into don't know about all the crazy doctrines about, Becoming a god and using your spirit wives to have spirit children to populate a planet that you are god over in your afterlife—you uh, present an average Mormon that you run into with that, and they will look at you like you're a crazy person because that's not their—that's not in their personal theology. So you need to question and ask each individual person, and it, it needs to be from genuine curiosity because you genuinely care about this person. You can't just grill them to go, "Aha! These are your arguments. Now I will destroy you." But it needs to be from a place of genuine curiosity where you, you want to learn about this person because you care about them. And it's, it's this exact conversational method. I found out that Muslim people celebrate Christmas and or, you know, some of them, a portion of them celebrate Christmas and Jesus is a big deal for them. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I can read about their theology, but to know somebody that I work with that you know shares with me that Jesus is a big deal and they celebrate Christmas that's that's cool that's a really awesome way to learn what he personally finds important and then bam now we're talking about Jesus and I can I listen to him and now I'm set up to share well I you know believe this about Jesus for these reasons and you know he just politely listened and that that conversation happened because I was genuinely curious and, and willing to listen and then when you find out they believe certain things or they have certain things that you don't know, you can then, it gives you stuff that you can research specific instances. So you're not um, confused or, you know, you don't fall into to doubt or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's just so important though, to, to use that curiosity, to also to build a relationship because that's what gives you the footing to then later disagree with them or to, um, to present varying viewpoints and not severing that, that connection. Cause you know, if you walk up to a devout atheist or a devout Muslim and just throw in their face, Jesus is risen, Lord, and they they stop listening to you. That's throwing pearls before swine. They'll break the pearls and then they'll turn on you. Um, but rather, if you approach with genuine curiosity and you build a relationship, you can come to a place much quicker than you would ever think, where you can start creating opportunities to to pray for them, to talk about Jesus and your personal religious beliefs, because you you led with curiosity and with caring and with love, because that's that's the biggest thing is. As Christ's disciples, he said they will know us by our love. And you, you have to genuinely love the other person and have that be the motivating force for all the stuff you do. So that's uh, my two cents on apologetics and how it, it comes together. Um, it, it really is uh, a God thing, but also you you need to have your ducks in a row and you need to, to do the work as well. All right, once again, all uh, audio recordings and notes will be on Lead to Live forward slash follow the leader. It's my website, lead the number two L I V E forward slash follow the leader. And you'll find a uh, outline of the talking points and all Bible verses will be hyperlinked through to blueletterbible.org. Bible.org. Go check them out. If you need an online Bible, they're the best. And uh, also I'd like to ask you to ask me any questions you might have about parenting, marriage, religious nuance, Bible, original language stuff, um, leadership or discipleship questions? Please call in on Anchor or leave a comment, and I'll be glad to answer them. I'm Robert Pearson. Godspeed. Begins to preach, and we have his message recorded in uh, Acts two fourteen and on. I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but Peter's sermon though hits on a couple different points. What he does is he cites Old Testament scripture, shows that Christ fulfilled those prophecies, and then points to the empty tomb as proof of Christ's resurrection. Those are very apologetic arguments and points to make. That's one way you can fight, you know, that that you can prove Christianity apologetically is arguing from Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, or making a case that because the tomb is empty and there's no way to account for how else he left, Christ has resurrected, which credentials his message. Peter uses both of those. Now, briefly, I understand. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit at that time. However, he still, he had to choose to stand up and to open his mouth and to speak the words that he was given. And the Holy Spirit could have just made everybody, you know, believe in God in that instance. And, you know, all Peter would have to do is just make blah, 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 blah noises with his mouth and the Holy Spirit would just do his magic. However, the Holy Spirit chose to inspire Peter to speak words that make very specific logical cases from known current events and from Old Testament prophecy that had been fulfilled by the life of Christ. And so that matters. That counts for something. The Holy Spirit chose those words or, you know, however the exact details of inspiration work are, I don't think you can be settled or resolved. However, Peter spoke those words and those are the those are the points that he made. He made apologetic arguments in an evangelistic context. And his apologetic argument is what leads the crowd in combination with the work of the Holy spirit is what leads the crowd to ask, how then can we be saved? And they all get baptized and are saved and all that cool stuff. So you go all the way down to the end of the chapter. It says there, so there were 3000 added to the church that day. And then at the end of the chapter, it repeats that same phrasing and it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. So Peter preached this really awesome, profound sermon and makes apologetic points in it, and then God added them to the church. Peter worked, God is responsible for the the fruits of those labor, of that, of that labor. And this fits right in with the seed sowing analogy. That gets used a lot when you're talking about this stuff is you know, we just sow seeds and God makes it grow. Ask any farmer, it is a lot of work to sow seeds. You don't just throw them at the ground willy nilly, then nothing will happen. Occasionally, something might grow, but you have to plow the soil. You have to plow the soil in a specific pattern at the proper time of year and plant the seeds in a particular way so that you give the seeds the best chance for growing. And then there's manure and you have to water it, and then you have to wait for the right time to harvest, and then you have to start all over again. Before all that, there's all the work of gathering the seeds that you use in the first place. And so there's, there's a lot of work before whatever magic God causes to happen inside the seed that makes things grow. That, that miracle of life happens. You still have a lot of work to do, and then God provides the rest. You give all that you have, and then God provides the rest. Uh, Paul bears this out quite a bit as well. He uses logical arguments and debate heavily in evangelistic contexts. Not exclusively, mind you, but very heavily. The first thing he does when he goes to any town throughout the book of Acts is he goes to their synagogue and debates with the Jews there, and then he goes to the rest of the city and starts preaching to Gentiles. You have a specific instance of this in Acts chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. It's only like the first sentence of 18 that I'm going to read here real quick. Uh, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Paul used the apologetic methods quite a bit in an evangelistic context. And now, not exclusively, though, too, because you'll see in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 3-6, to Paul says, I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. So you see here, Paul didn't always use apologetic methods. There were times he just very plainly and simply presents the gospel and doesn't use a lot of fancy arguments and ideas. There's there's a time for everything. And so naturally, there's, there's a time to just simply proclaim the gospel and then there's a time to present logical arguments for why the gospel is true and why the bible is a verifiable source for objective truth so now all of that to say the one of the other tenets that i personally have there's not a really a bible verse for it that i could find per se um, but it sun tzu says it best know your enemy know yourself and he has a, a long axiom about you know a general who knows himself wins half his battles and loses the other half a general who knows the enemy will lose half his battles and win the other half and then a uh, general who knows himself and knows his enemy will not be defeated and the the principle there is that you have to know your own strengths and weaknesses and you have to know your enemy's strengths and weaknesses and it's navigating the situation with that information in mind gives you the best chance to succeed so i i Use this principle or apply it to the context of apologetics and, you know, to a lesser extent, evangelism by making sure that I know my, I don't know yourself, but rather I know my argument, my case, my religion. I, I should be able to have, I should be able to articulate the core of the Christian faith as well as um, at least one uh, good apologetic argument. So let me let me unpack that a little bit. So I should be able to explain why Jesus dying on the cross is imp- cross is important, and why uh, how how Jesus fits into the Jewish religion, and how our faith in Him affects not only our sort of eternal condition, but as well as uh, in addition to that, our our daily lives, and why that's important. And I, I should be able to articulate that simply in uh, using conversational language, and also I should be able to make A reasonably compelling argument from one of the again when you when you start researching apologetics there's fancy names for all the different schools of apologetics and ways i think they're all they're all equally valid and just depends on the 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 topic and it it's a full-time job to try and keep up with all of the different ones and so it's best to find a an argument that you find compelling and simply know that one argument well, whether it's an argument from creation that God exists, or whether it's an argument from uh, you know philosophically you know, Christianity is the only religion religion that holds up, or whether it's an argument from history that the Bible is historically accurate in every point that it can be tested, and so therefore it's accurate in every point that you know we can't verify historically. That's that's the the importance. That's knowing an argument. that that you resonate with, or that you can easily wrap your brain around and communicate. Those are important to know. And then knowing your enemy, not that you would cast someone you're debating as your enemy. Well, obviously as Christian, we're supposed to love everyone. So, I mean, you can feel like they're your enemy then as a Christian, because you're supposed to love your enemy. Anyway, sidetrack over. So it's important to understand where the other person is coming from. This creates a massive difficulty though, because there are so many religions, even before you get into